And we welcome you to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. That, of course, is some of the most familiar and beloved film music ever composed. Uh, It is the main theme to Star Wars, music by John Williams. And anybody who was alive back in 1977 probably still remembers what it was like to sit in a darkened movie theater and uh, have that magnificent music never heard before uh, wash over us as the scenes of the first Star Wars film uh, played out before our wondering eyes. Uh, and all these years later, the the music of Star Wars still has a, a powerful hold over at least a lot of us. And uh, apparently it has a powerful hold over my first morning show guest today, and uh, that is Dr. Alvaro Garcia from uh, the University of Wisconsin Parkside, who is the conductor of their orchestra. And uh, in their concert that is coming up tomorrow night at 7 p.m., uh, it will be a veritable feast for Star Wars fans with all kinds of music from the Star Wars movies. But uh, I hasten to add that I think in no way does one have to be a Star Wars fan to uh, enjoy tomorrow night's concert because this is just magnificent music any way you slice it. And uh, and so this is an opportunity to hear some of these really familiar themes and some other themes that are not nearly so well-known, actually, and and in a couple of different formats, uh, things are going to be presented. So it promises to be a really uh, wonderful concert, again, tomorrow night, 7 p.m., at UW Parkside's Main Stage Theater. So not in uh, Francis Bedford Hall, but rather uh, in the Main Stage. I think that used to be called the Com Arts Theater, right? Yes, correct. So once upon a time, but uh, out on the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And mm-hmm. Dr. Alvaro Garcia, we welcome you back to the morning show. Thank you very much, Greg, and thank you for having me here today. Great. So uh, you have done this before, that is, uh, presented orchestra concerts at Parkside that feature uh, front and center uh, music from the Star Wars films. Uh, I'm curious how much this has to do with your own love of these films. I mean, do you come to all of this as a uh, diehard Star Wars fan? Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I could label myself as a diehard fan, but certainly I am a fan of, of the movies. Uh, you know, back uh, when I saw the first movies, uh, not when they came out, probably uh, I was still in the crowd a lot at the time, but... Uh, was around the 80s when all my friends we were in small children's schools and you know it's a when the the third movie of the original trilogy uh, uh the return of the jedi came out is is when we really got a hold ourselves about oh my god look at all these figurines of the 
of the Star Wars, and, and then somehow all my friends and I became fans of it. But, um, you know, the, the movies came and go. The, 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 uh, to have a VC at home was a great commodity, at least in, in Spain, where, ah. where we were. So it's not like we could play like nowadays. You just pop the DVD in and you play it every time you want. So... So it, it was coming and going with the movies as 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 they came and so, but but it was it was you know, we were there. You're right, and and I, I I wanted to to make sure that I understood. I suspected that you lived in Spain at the time, so you yes. actually so these Star Wars films, of course, were popular the world over, including Spain, and so you were seeing this. I I assume with. Uh, Spanish subtitles or Spanish dubbing? No, or do you I, recall? I, I, actually, it's funny because in Spain they, they don't do much of subtitles at all, so it's all dubbing. So you, I never got to hear the original voices until I was in this country. Well, let alone that I, I couldn't understand anything that they would have said that time because my English was non-existent then. Ah. But uh, you know, now I mean that you can see in the original format is much more exciting too. So, so, so you didn't hear, for instance, James Earl Jones the voice of Darth Vader, you heard some no, I, Spanish I, 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 actor. Some Spanish actor with a deep voice. Uh, <laughs> trying to do his best. Yes, oh, yeah. that, that would be really interesting. I would love to see a little of these Star Wars movies with other actors, and of course it would be other words as well, of course, in a, in a completely different language. Yes. Well, how, how intriguing. Do you remember at the time when you first saw for the Return of the Jedi, do you remember the music having a lot of impact and you appreciating the music of John Williams, or did that come much later for you? Well, I mean, at, at the time, of course, uh, my da uh, my experience in the world of music was very little. I mean, I started when I was eight years old with music, so, and probably I, around the same time as when we started looking at the first movies of, of Star Wars back in Spain. Uh, you you know, is 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 basically you could recognize the music, but it's not like nowadays I analyze the music in my head, right? Mm, it, yeah. it's, it's not the same thing. But I will say I will mo I was more deeply involved musically speaking uh, much later in life when when my you know musical skills were far more advanced and then you can look at the music and analyze the themes and the motifs that John Williams uses for each character and how that represents into each character you know uh, once you learn about what uh, an opera is you know in a sense then you start you start to see all the relationships between of how the music is composed and a is the the action in the movie uh, you know, Star, Star Wars are are, are kind of um, an incredible feat at the time in terms of musically for the movies that were composed. I mean, we were getting out of Hollywood, uh, an era in which there was very little music in the movies. Mm. And all of a sudden, John Williams is, is being asked to compose basically an opera mm. within a movie. Um, so in, in this case, you know, to see the thematic recurrence and, 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 and the compositional aspects of it, it, it was very interesting to, to be able to analyze that once I had those skills. Also. Right. Well, and uh, I, I, I hadn't really stopped to think about it, but I think you're absolutely right that one way in which you could think of these film scores as almost opera scores at, yes. for a typical opera is wall-to-wall -wall music. I yes. mean, once in a while you have an opera where there is spoken dialogue, mostly it's everything is sung, so everything is music. And uh, and likewise in these Star Wars films, although nobody is ever singing, but 
but there is almost always music in the background. And, of course, it's more typical, and I suppose especially in that period, something else I hadn't thought about, more typical for there to be long stretches in a film where people are just speaking on stage and there is no music uh, in the background at all. Cor- correct. Yeah. And in these Star Wars films, there's almost always music this going on. There's very specific moments in which you actually see or, or actually you hear silence. Yeah. There's always there is something going on behind the score, and so it's a development of a motif or an idea coming back, but the, the music it really almost never stops. So in a sense, you look at it almost like, okay, there's no one singing, but it's the same length of we are getting to an opera yeah. type of type of construction. Interesting. We're speaking with Dr. Alvaro Garcia, who is the uh, orchestra conductor at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And their concert tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on the main stage theater uh, is devoted uh, start to finish to some of the magnificent music that is from the Star Wars films. And of course, there's a whole lot of films Mm -hmm. uh, by now. And uh, I suspect that you are sampling many of them. Yes. Not just the first you know, several films that for a long time were the the only Star Wars films Correct. out there. So, so there is three three areas that that we focus on in the concert. Is the first of of course trilogy. We have some music that comes from that. Uh, the the one of the main themes that we have there. But also we are gonna hear some of the themes that normally you don't hear, like uh, the the parade of the Ewoks or or the forest battle. For example, so uh, we we bring parts of two different suites that they were done from the movies, uh, the original trilogy movies, and then we also look at the Force Force Awakens uh, mm. music, which is kind of the music that it recurrence comes back and forth from the uh, what they call now the sequel trilogy mm. or the latest movies that they come up. I, even uh, we were able to include a little bit of the Last Jedi too. And and in in terms of musical movies, and and finally the other part that uh, we included was also uh, music from the Star Alone, um, uh, the movie uh, that stays by itself, which is Rogue One, mm. and that's the movie that connects uh, basically the the second trilogy they came out, which is what they call the prequel trilogy, to the original trilogy, and and that's some uh, that is core. Uh, Although the music is by Michael Giacchino, uh, it, it really brings the depth uh, because, of, of course, Michael Giacchino is someone influenced by the music of John Williams, so there is still some connection there with, with the Star Wars. And, but, uh, you know, the music uh, for that film is, is actually a much bigger depth of, of, in terms of, of, of character and sentiment. Mm. Uh, because Michael Giacchino uh, concentrated not in the individual characters to give them a motif or a, or a melodic element. If not, he, he just took an idea which recurs through the entire movie, which is the idea of hope. Mm. Uh, and that idea of hope is really deeply involved into the music. There is kind of a remembrance of, of the fallen heroes of, mm. of the rebellion. So, th- so that has a, a much deeper uh, meaning uh, that, for example, the music that you see on, on the original trilogy. Right. Uh, was last year when you... No, you've done this more than once. Yes, this actually is the, the third concert that we have because uh, with the, this la- latest trilogy that is coming out, we every time the movie came out, we made a Star Wars concert. Okay. Uh, what was... Uh, what? 
how was this received the first time around? I don't mean by the public, uh, because I know it went over like gangbusters. I'm thinking about your young musicians. Uh, when they first heard that there was going to be a concert in which they'd be playing music like this, you know, not Beethoven or Haydn or Mozart or the kind of things they were probably used to playing underneath you. Yeah, I mean, normally, I mean, all the decisions that I make programmatic are based on yeah, which we are a you know, teaching institution, so we always try to uh, fulfill that mission. But uh, one of the missions that we have is that uh, within pedagogy in the orchestra, and there's a, l- a lot of you know, college orchestras are doing this, we are bringing now pops concerts into the, into the mixture because we realize that many of the musicians that us as professionals, we get out of the school, you know, your Browns, Beethoven, Schumann, Schubert, you know, and then you go out and then you start playing uh, pops music mm. and then you get caught. Right. Because this is not the type of music that you are regular. Typically, the rhythms, the harmonies are completely different from right. what you are used to. And it's and in many cases, it's not easy to play. No, I mean, and of course, it's, it's actually much harder. Right. It's easy to listen to, but that doesn't mean that it's simple music that doesn't pose a lot of very uh, significant challenges. I suppose in some ways... This is really cool because uh, that is the music you're going to be playing tomorrow night because in some ways it's both. It's, it's the kind of music that would appear on a lighter pops kind of concert, and yet at least a lot of it is written very symphonically. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it... Correct. I mean, it follows all the tradition of the symphonic music, but it's, it's the type of music that the kids are extremely excited to play. Mm. And then when the first time open the book and look at the music, they say, oh, Right. I do really need to practice this music. (laughs) Right. This This is not easy to play. Not easy. Well, you've brought with you uh, some examples of at least some of the music that is going to be played tomorrow night. And uh, I thought it would be fun for us to sample at least a a couple of them. So why don't you pick out one of the tracks that you uh, think would be uh, especially interesting for people to hear because it might be something a little less commonly heard. Yeah, so so the next track that we are gonna hear it comes from Rogue One is uh, is, is a sample of uh, that is called the movement Jin Erso and Hope and and it focuses basically in the in in the deep meaning of hope it is all in a minor quality because Rogue One has a big big tragic ending and and but then there is a, a glimpse of hope in which the movement tur- turns to a major quality in a G major chord there mm. yeah, we are gonna see in the end cool. towards the end. So so it's really, really deeply felt by all the musicians and the people that normally hears it. So. And again, uh, unlike everything else on s- tomorrow night's concert, this music is actually by composer Michael Giacchino. Correct. And again this is from the Star Wars film called Rogue One.
That is absolutely marvelous music by Michael Giacchino from uh, the film Rogue One, part of the Star Wars legacy. And that wonderful piece uh, is going to be one of the pieces played tomorrow night by the UW Parkside Orchestra uh, in the main stage theater. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m., a concert devoted entirely to the marvelous music from Star Wars. That is so beautifully <laughs> crafted. And you were saying that's one of the reasons we played it start to finish is uh, the beautiful haunting quality and most of it in G minor and then that mm-hmm. wonderful radiant shift to G major at the <laughs> very, very end. Beautiful, beautiful music. Science of hope. Yeah, absolutely. We all need that, don't we? Uh, so you had the music of, well, I guess something like 10 films to choose from to put tomorrow night's yes. concert together. What did you think about in terms of making the choices of, of, of what to include, how to put this concert together? You know, I, I mean, it has been some sort of a, a collective process of, of three different concerts. Uh, what we have done before, what we should do as new, because, you know, I don't like to repeat things. Uh, so, of course, some things you have to bring back uh, to connect the dots. But uh, some other things are new, like Rock One, uh, the other, th- uh, the, the, the Star Wars saga, which is, uh, you know, the least heard music. And, and probably we are going to hear a little bit after uh, this about that one. But, um, you know, the, the collective process is normally, you know, this is what you want to do. Secondly, you go about what's available mm. to you, and 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 thirdly, what what your funding allows you to get, mm. because as you can imagine, funding for these and copyrights are truly expensive. So it's a collective process of several years of of buying the music, of collecting the music, and 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 to be able to do a full concert for Star Wars, that's what it takes. Uh, right. Because we we do use the the professional series, which is the the hardest music and. The most expensive too, so. Uh, so this is these are not just uh, shallow little arrangements. No, these, no, no, no. This yeah. is not that. Uh, I mean, normally what comes out of the market uh, normally first is is quick, small arrangements, uh, reduced for high schools and so forth, the kids to play. But no, these are the professional pop series of John Williams and Michael Giacchino that they are put out there. Right, for, so, for real orchestras for, to play. For, for, for the professional orchestras. <laughs> right. yes. uh, explain uh, how things are going to be presented tomorrow night in terms of sort of the visuals of tomorrow night's so, concert. So for the visuals of tomorrow night, what uh, what we are not doing is, is, is actually uh, presenting any kind of movie or, or theatrical movie that's, that's under the copyright, so that, that will be almost costly prohibited for us. But uh, what we are trying to do is just to offer the music, and, and then we are going to use the main stage to uh, provide some light design done by the students of the theater department under the direction of Jake Prey, our light design uh, professor. And, and then we are going to have uh, our uh, student actors uh, have been doing some Foley sounds to complement transitions between the music ah. uh, um, and, and some acting uh, in, in the transitions about the music, creating our own narrative of a story uh, uh, to connect uh, the different move, m- movements since we are going from different movies back and forth, yeah. kind of creating our own story behind the whole thing. And, and that was our uh, students in the theater department under the direction of our uh, a digital sound uh, instructor, Professor uh, Kevin Gray. 
Great. That's a really nice so idea. It has, I mean, put all together between all the musicians in my orchestra and everyone involved in this production, we are about 100 people. Wow. Wow. So. Wonderful. Well, let's, uh, to finish out, sample one more thing that's going to be played tomorrow night. And you were saying this is also something that's a little more out of the ordinary, uh, not so commonly heard if one goes and hears uh, you know, a 20-minute suite of most famous Star Wars themes. This is not going to be one of them, but that doesn't mean this isn't wonderful music. Yes, uh, and, and this is actually the forest battle uh, at the end of the Return of the Jedi. Uh, we have the forest battle with the Ewoks and the, and the Rebels trying to uh, basically blow up a, a shield array that, that protects the Death Star. And this is the music that... Actually, in the movie, it starts right when uh, Chewbacca is swinging out of a car, uh, basically in the moment that the battle turns in their favor. Mm. And and the qualities of this music is is very much, uh, you know, like uh, a Stravinsky almost type of quality uh, beginning. It's, it's very disruptive. You are in the middle of the battle, and and but nevertheless, it's just wonderful music. Great. So this is going to be uh, the forest battle music which is from Return of the Jedi. Uh, And we want to remind you again that this is just one of the pieces that will be played tomorrow night, 7 p.m. at UW Parkside's main stage theater, uh, the orchestra there, playing a whole night of music from Star Wars. And on the podium conducting it all, Dr. Alvaro Garcia. Great to have you here, and uh, I'm excited to... uh, Share the news about this exciting concert tomorrow Thank night. Thank you. And, and, and just to remind people, tickets are going fast, so uh, get your tickets online. Ah, very good. Concert. So go to uwp.edu and... Slash Rita. And there you go. Very good. Here is Forest Battle.
You're listening to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. And again, that was music from uh, The Return of the Jedi, one of the Star Wars films. And tomorrow night's concert by the orchestra at the University of Wisconsin Parkside will feature wall-to-wall music from the Star Wars films, uh, most of it by the great John Williams and Dr. Alvaro Garcia uh, conducting. And you want to go to uwp.edu slash Rita, R-I-T-A, to find out more information about the concert and how to secure your tickets. You're listening to The Morning Show on WGTD-HD, your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg. And to finish out today's morning show, we're going to be talking about something else exciting happening at the University of Wisconsin Parkside this weekend, namely uh, the opening of a play which is called Silent Sky by Lauren Gunderson. And uh, this is a play that is most appropriate in this year when we are celebrating the upcoming uh, centennial of women's suffrage in uh, the United States. And uh, that important milestone is touching off a, a lot of special events and presentations here and everywhere. And Silent Sky uh, folds very nicely into that, and we'll uh, let our guests explain all the reasons why. First of all, I'm happy to have uh, with me Jennifer Sassaman from the faculty of the University of Wisconsin Parkside Theater Department, who is the director of this production, and two of the actors who are part of this production as well, Bailey Johnston and uh, Josh Pride. And we welcome all of you to the morning show. Hello, good morning. It's good to be back. Good to have you here. So uh, Jennifer Sassaman, uh, Maybe you can explain uh, the enigmatic words that I just said about how (laughs) appropriate this play is in this school year in which uh, a lot of places like Parkside and Carthage and other schools are celebrating the the history of of, of women. Explain how this play, Silent Sky, uh, very nicely folds into that. Well, the play Silent Sky is about three women from history, from the turn of the last century. And uh, the idea of women's suffrage is actually a part of the text, although it's not Mm. the primary focus. Um, It's really about three scientists who changed, who dramatically changed the field that they were a part of. In particular, it focuses on Henrietta Leavitt Swan, but it also also features Wilhelmina Fleming and Annie Jump Cannon. And uh, they were all astronomers who worked at the Harvard Observatory around the turn of the last century. And Annie Jump Cannon wound up being quite heavily involved in the suffrage movement and, uh, and really pushed hard for the passage of the 19th Amendment. Wow. So, but we do focus on Miss Swan in this play. She's the center of the story. Henrietta Swan Levitt, and, uh, and that is uh, the character that is uh, portrayed by Bailey Johnston. Uh, so, Jennifer Sassman, tell me a little bit about how you first became acquainted with this play and what specifically prompted you to want to do it at Parkside? Well, I first became aware of this play. I do some work with a a couple theaters back east in the summers, and one of the companies that I work with had just done a production of Silent Sky. So Mm. while I was in a musical there, I kept seeing the poster, and it looked, you know, it's this gorgeous night sky, and and I was asking everybody, what's this play? I've never heard of this play, because it's a a fairly new story that's out there, although Lauren Gunderson is is a very popularly produced playwright at this point. And, uh, and, you know, to, I, I'm uh, someone, you know, a lot of theater people 
uh, avoid the sciences and maths as if they are <laughs> terrifying. But I loved math and I loved science. So to learn that there is a play that celebrates women scientists, I was definitely fascinated by uh, the prospect of working on a show like this. It's also a small cast. Uh, the last several shows that I've done at Parkside have had close to 20 people in them. Mm. And that's a really great energy to have on stage. But when you have five actors, you can really focus on building an ensemble and really dive into the text and create sort of a sense of warmth and intimacy that is, is harder to do when you have a massive show that you've only got four weeks to get on its feet. Mm. So uh, tell us how Lauren Gunderson tells this story. I mean, is it a fairly straightforward telling of these historical events with these historic figures, or does she play with history a little bit? I would definitely say she plays with history a little bit. It's much more magical realism than strict realism. Hmm. Um, there are many sections that uh, you would watch, and it looks like you're watching straight realism, and then... The stars come out and, you know, we magically go into the mind of Henrietta and we see, uh, you know, the play itself spans 20 years and that's difficult to do in wow. under two hours. Yeah, it's very much a, bio a biography. It's a historical fiction biography. So she takes, uh, Gunderson takes many moments uh, that we know to be true about the life of Henrietta Leavitt, including her extraordinary discovery, uh, which was... Uh, <sighs> You know, the, the the discovery itself is pretty complicated, but um, what's really important is that the way that she discovered how the, that there's information that can be found within the pulsing of the stars themselves, mm. and that made it possible for people to... Uh, know where we are in the galaxy, that prior to uh -huh. the work of Henrietta Swan Leavitt, uh, astronomy also was a, a much stronger suit of mine when I was taking astronomy classes many years ago. Um, but the, uh, before her work, it wasn't really possible to know for certain that there were galaxies outside of, our, outside of the Milky Way. Um, and she made it possible to measure distances in uh, vast space and sort yeah. of mm. define where we live, where we are located in the universe and where other galaxies are within the universe. Otherwise, all the stars were kind of the same right. twinkling spots. Yeah, there's I mean. actually an argument that these two characters, that Josh and Bailey, have later in the show where he is firmly of the opinion that, of course, there's nothing outside of our universe and there doesn't need to be. What? Uh, so they, she really helps redefine... How yeah. we understand the universe. Her work yeah. substantially changed our understanding of the universe. It what? paved the way to just discover how vast our universe is mm -hmm. and that the Milky Way is not all of it. Hmm. So I suspect that uh, part of the story of Silent Sky is of a woman being in a field that uh, did not have all that many women in it. I mean, can we assume that to be true? Well, it's interesting. The play really does a great job, I think, of uh, portraying just how hard these women had to work to pursue their passion, what they had to give up uh, in order to be recognized within their field. Um, but the research that I have done has shown that, that actually there was a lot more acceptance within the fields of science. Like once you were working at the Harvard, Harvard Observatory, it wasn't, oh, well, you're a woman, so 
you can Sweep go file. Voice. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, that, you know, the male scientists respected people with great intelligence. Um, that, this, that the resistance that I have been seeing when I have been researching the era itself was more from society in general. Mm. But that's a difficult thing to present in a play that only has five people. We don't have society represented on stage. So what we see is through the character of Peter Shaw, uh, we see that he is walking in kind of representing the this these the notion of the patriarchy that these women can only do so much and only capable of so much and we watch his mind expand throughout the play to recognize just how smart these women are fascinating mm-hmm. for those of you just joining us we have in the studio uh, Jennifer Sassaman uh, Bailey Johnston and Josh Pride to talk about a play that is uh, uh, opening this weekend uh, at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, a play called Silent Sky by Lauren Gunderson. It tells the story of of three uh, women astronomers, or I think they were, do I remember correctly, they were actually called computers? They were. That was their job title. They were computers. Right. So. And we have to even have that conversation in the play. Bailey has the line, what is, what is a computer? <laughs> and they have to, <laughs> one who computes. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to remember that words had different meanings before we assigned, you know, before, <laughs> lost my train of thought. Before we created machines called computers, right. there were people called computers. And uh, so Henrietta Swan-Levitt uh, was one such computer. Uh, so that's, uh, of course, the same terminology we remember from uh, Hidden Figures, right. the story of women who worked at NASA in the early days. So these are even earlier days. This is back mm-hmm. to the uh, turn from the uh, 19th to the 20th century. Bailey Johnston, so you are performing the role of Henrietta Swan Levitt. Uh, Tell us more about her and uh, what has made her an interesting character for you to portray. Well, so Henrietta is very, very passionate. Um, And she kind of lets that um, almost get in the way of some aspects of her personal life. Like she um, she gets the job and she goes to Harvard and she really just puts her all into her work, um, which affects her relationship with her sister in the play. Mm. Her sister's fictional, but um, it she... She just throws herself into her work because she's just so excited about it, and she kind of forgets to write letters home, Mm. um, which causes problems. But um, she's just so one-track-minded almost at some points um, that it also kind of bleeds into her relationship with Peter. Mm. So this is, uh, among other things, a story of someone in a sense, kind of consumed by their passion for something, and in this case, astronomy. Yes. It predominates everything else in her life, at least to some extent. Yes. Which is something which, we can all relate to. One of the things that we've been talking about is this is a, this is a play that's got two different love stories in it. Uh, we have the traditional love story between, you know, the Peter character and the Henrietta mm-hmm. character, but it's also the love story 
that uh, Henrietta has the passion that she has for her work. And I feel mm. like there are all different ways that we fall in love in life. And I think that so frequently in dramatic fiction, <clears throat> the love story that we focus on is that, you know, the romantic love, which is, you know, a great mm. story. We like to fall into those stories. But this is equally about falling in love with what gets you up in the morning, what you want to do, what you want to spend your life pouring your attention into. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's find out a little bit about the man who is uh, one half of the the one love story that you were just talking about. Josh Pride, the other student uh, in the studio with us, uh, portrays Peter, who is the primary love interest in this play, again, called Silent Sky. So, uh, Josh Pride, tell us uh, more about the character of of uh, Peter. What is he like and what is their relationship like? Well, Peter is entirely fictional in this story. Uh, Lauren Gunderson decided to add the love story, I think, to give a bit of a dynamic to the the whole idea of her having to choose astronomy, of that being her passion and the thing that she has to go for. Um, Peter is, he's not passionate about astronomy. He is doing it because his father's kind of forced him into it. You know, he's... He's a product of the time and of the universe that he lives in. Uh, and he very much just believes everyone around him of authority. And Henrietta comes in and sort of challenges that. She gives him this, uh, I don't know if it's another way of thinking, but she sort of, <laughs> she's flirty and coy with him. And he catches on to that. And he's very, very much enticed by her brain. Um, <laughs> he, 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 isn't passionate about astronomy, but he loves that Henrietta is. And oh. I think a lot of Peter is, uh, you see him become passionate about Henrietta, like the same way that she is passionate about astronomy. But um, I don't know. I like, I like Peter. I like playing him, being able to create a character from the ground up. No, yeah. nothing to work from right. <laughs> except the text. Right. Well, and it sounds like uh, this is not the conventional situation that we might assume it would be and where – you think a woman's place is in the home and you don't understand why a woman would want to be an astronomer. Sounds like it isn't that at all. There's like a few moments of that at the beginning, but like Jennifer said, like astronomy was much more equitable back then. Um, I don't think he thinks of himself as better than any of the women that he is working with. He is in a position of authority. I don't think he abuses it, though. If anything, he's... He's a wallflower. <laughs> he, he's, he's a gentle boy. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I like about Peter is, I, you know, <laughs> I've heard people say this, I think he's a lot less woke than he thinks he is. Yes. Um, I think Peter thinks that he is quite progressive for the time because he works with women, but he does not see them as equals or peers. Mm. I think that he thinks... I am a progressive man. I work with women. And, you know, I recognize that they have some good qualities and <laughs> and that it is meeting up with with Henrietta, but also the other women who are the computers um, who really force him to recognize, no, no, we are all on an equal playing field. And in fact, this, you know, that these women who really changed the field quite surpass him in in uh, their scientific abilities. Oh, absolutely. Wow. So uh, ultimately, is Henrietta Swan Leavitt a name that that is known in the field of astronomy? And is it a name we should know better? I mean, is, has her were her accomplishments appreciated then versus now? 
I mean, where what is her standing? I feel like I need to talk to an astronomer about that. Um, <laughs> I, I what I'm seeing is that she was quite recognized at the time. You know, people knew that their work was based on her work. Um, the second major paper that she published, um, uh, Dr. Pickering was the person who ran the Harvard Observatory, so it was published under his name, but he was very clear on the front page, like this is the work of Henrietta Leavitt. He was not trying to take her work. Everybody understood mm. that this was her work and that Hubble, you know, we, we know the name Hubble. I don't think we know that many names from astronomy. Right. Um, so I think that it's very easy to get worked up and say, how dare these names be lost to history? But then I would say, well, how many astronomers <laughs> do you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, this is absolutely a person from history that people should know about. I think that what she did was extraordinary. And I do think that even though she was, to a certain extent, welcome within her field, she had to push very hard to, you know, against what society would have expected of a woman at that time hmm. to, you know, give up the life, you know, go and get married and have babies and like maybe, maybe, maybe be a teacher. You hmm. know, it's a very different thing to say, no, I'm going to go change the field of science. Wow. And she did. <laughs> she so did. the play is Silent Sky by Lauren Gunderson. It is performed this coming weekend, November 22nd through the 24th. And then there is a week off because of Thanksgiving break. But then you are back for more performances December 6th through 8th. If people want tickets, what do they do? They should go to the website, uh, UW Parkside Tickets, all one word, dot universitytickets.com. There you go. All right. So Jennifer Sassaman and uh, Bailey Johnston and Josh Pride, uh, all part of this production of Silent Sky. Thank you for being part of the morning show today. Thank you so much. Thank you.